I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Uh, and so as we've been saying, you know, this week uh, we're going to be digging into the Democratic primary in the 9th Congressional District, which is in Brooklyn. Uh, Representative Yvette Clark trying to hold on to her seat. Today we'll be talking with uh, Rep. Clark later in the show. And first up in just a couple minutes, Adem Bukadeko, who came within just a couple thousand votes uh, in 2018 of unseating Clark in the Democratic primary. He came quite close, surprised a lot of people. Perhaps even Clark herself. We'll we'll get into that a little bit with both of them when we talk to them. But while it was a two-person race in 2018, as you said, Jared, there are more candidates on the ballot this year. We'll be talking to at least one or two of the others in the coming weeks, and it's you know it makes for a much different race. And we'll talk to the candidates about that in just a couple minutes when Adem Bukadeko joins us and then uh, Representative Yvette Clark a little bit later on. But that's, of course, not the only race on the ballot coming up. No, that's right. And I think that's one of the really fascinating uh, variables in this race. In 2018, uh, Bukadeko definitely gave Clark, I would think, a scare. Um, that could sometimes be attributed to the fact that it was fairly low turnout. It was uh, June primary. It wasn't uh, a race that a lot of people maybe were paying much attention to. And so the question this year has been, what would turnout be in 2020 and how would that affect the different candidates? And of course, you know, the, the the way that the presidential primary in New York State has gone from being scheduled in April to then being rescheduled to June, to then being off, to then being on again, perhaps off one more time before all things are said and done. Uh, you know, whether that's going to bring some people to the polls who otherwise wouldn't. Some of the other races for assembly and Senate seats, there's a city council uh, election uh, that uh, I don't think overlaps this district, but but there are a lot of different races in the mix, and I think that coupled with, as you mentioned, now of at least a five-person Democratic field uh, does make this uh, a harder a harder race to call. Indeed, it'll be very interesting. The, you know, the other candidate that I'll mention now, and we can get more into the race perhaps later or, or next week in terms of the other candidates, but. You know, city council member Chaim Deutsch is is running for Congress here and adds, you know, a whole nother wrinkle into the equation in this race. Um, You know, it will be very interesting to see what, you know, to hear from him about what his pitch is to voters and how he impacts the race or maybe even wins it. Um, You know, it's a very, very different race, as I was saying, not only because of the, the, the different field, but that is a major factor. It's not a one on one race with a you know sort of insurgent challenger against the longtime incumbent. Uh, but also, as you said, obviously, the coronavirus outbreak shifts everything. Um, voters can vote absentee. Uh, I think just about everybody is expecting voting to be significantly down this year from where it was in 2018, at least in the primary. Uh, of course, in the general election come the fall uh, with President Trump on the ballot and you know, we have to hope uh, the worst of the outbreak well behind us, you know, perhaps there will be a major increase in voter turnout. But really what we're looking at in June here is a very tricky scenario. Um, and, you know, we'll see what that looks like. Before we jump into our conversations with the um, the two candidates we'll be speaking with today in the 9th Congressional District, Jared, we also are going to be um, hosting a debate tomorrow night, uh, not here on WBAI, but we might play some of it in future weeks here on the show uh, in the 15th Congressional District up in the Bronx. 
That's right. So folks should tune in tomorrow here to WBAI at 5 p.m. to hear our good friend Jeff Simmons. And then if they want to take a, a break from BAI, come over to Zoom or Facebook. You can find the details on citylimits.org or gothamgazette.com. A two-hour debate in the 15th Congressional District. That is the only congressional district that is solely located within the Bronx. Um, and it's where Jose Serrano has been the congressman since 1990. There's a very crowded field running to unseat him, or I should say to replace him. And right. it's the only it's the only seat that I believe is an open seat, which makes right. obviously for a lot of competition. And and a lot of a lot of I would say talent or at least firepower in in that competition. You know, several city uh, city council members, a former uh, council speaker, an assembly uh, member, and uh, some you know fairly high profile community operatives and uh, and activists. So that will be from six to eight tomorrow night. And it'd be interesting to hear what people are saying now about um, you know about their platform and and how much COVID uh, changes or or at least kind of inflects what the different candidates talk about in that race. So I think that would be fascinating to see. Indeed. Uh, and and so, you know, these are just two of the number of races that will be on the ballot. Um, and, you know, both the congressional congressional uh, district nine in Brooklyn and 15 in the Bronx are among the top races that people will be watching, um, watching for as the vote gets closer in June. And we're excited to talk to candidates from both um you know, from both races in the next couple of days. And like I said, you know, folks should really tune in either on Zoom or Facebook for the debate tomorrow night, but maybe we'll try to uh, play some of that debate at least in future weeks here or, uh, or you know, just discuss what we hear and what we, uh, what we know about the race uh, when we get back together in a couple of weeks. Uh, Jarrett, anything else sort of as we're waiting to talk to Adem Bunkadeko, anything else particularly on your mind as we look ahead to these elections? Uh, yeah. You know, I know for me, it's interesting, uh, and I think we have uh, uh, oh, look at it. Um, but I'll just say that some of the races that people are also talking about, obviously, is the, the 12th district where Carol Maloney is an incumbent facing a challenge. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the 14th, a race that's become a little more interesting uh, in the past few days, and uh, a few others. One of them that come, will come up in the fall, of course, is the Staten Island seat that Max Rose won last term. He's a Democrat. He'll be facing a Republican opponent, perhaps uh, Assemblymember uh, Nicole Maliotakis, who ran for mayor in 2017. So a lot on the docket. But on the phone now, we have Adam Bacadeco, the Democratic, a Democratic challenger in the 9th District. Hi, and welcome to Max and Murphy. Hey, uh, thanks for, for having me. I hope uh, all is well and your families are staying safe and healthy. You as, you as you, well. Thank you. Indeed. Thank you. So this is this is your second time running for this seat. Uh, some voters probably know you well. Some don't. Talk about the reasons for running this time. Why why are you a candidate for the race, and how has your rationale for running changed, if at all, in light of the pandemic that we're all living through? Sure. Um, uh, for those who don't know, I ran in 2018. I came uh, pretty close uh, to pulling it out, but you know before. All of that, I started off as an organizer, uh, and before that, uh, I'm the child of two war refugees from Uganda. So my dad came to this country uh, with 50 bucks in his pocket, clothes he was wearing, extra set in a suitcase, and managed uh, to be able to not only uh, come here and go through a site and get his uh, petition for asylum granted, but bring my mom. So I grew up in a one-bedroom apartment. I'm one of six, fortunate to go to public schools as a child. 
and then uh, eventually earn scholarships to go to private school, uh, Haverford College, and eventually Harvard uh, for business school. And I've spent my entire career trying to pay that back. Uh, so public service has been at the forefront. As I mentioned, I've been an organizer, uh, starting off with the Working Families Party and then working at places like the Bed-Stuy Restoration Corporation and Brooklyn Community Services to try to make a difference in the lives of working folks all across central Brooklyn. And we've had enormous challenges, and I think COVID has only compounded those challenges. But I think uh, the pandemic has laid bare inequalities on housing, uh, health care, criminal justice, education. And um, this, this was the case. Uh, we had these extreme challenges before uh, COVID, but now they've only grown uh, worse. And so we need uh, the kind of leadership that's going to be able to make a difference, the kind of leadership that I've shown uh, through my work in this community, um, because not only we need to diagnose the problems, uh, I've lived through them. I grew up, uh, again, in a one-bedroom apartment, helping folks uh, throughout my career try to uh, find better housing. But we also need uh, to step up and find solutions to these issues. And that's something that I think we haven't really gotten uh, with the 13 or so years with Ms. Clark in the seat. So go ahead, say a little bit more about that since uh, that's where you left off there. What is, um, you know, what is your pitch to voters in terms of why the incumbent needs to go? I mean, especially considering, uh, you know, you come from the same party. This is not necessarily a sweeping uh, ideological difference unless unless it is. And let us know that. Um, so, you, you know, your argument uh, two years ago and then again this year seems to be really about uh, performance, representation for the district. Uh, what's your what's your case against uh, Representative Clark on those fronts? Sure. I think it's on um, Brooklyn deserves active and energetic leadership. Uh, and that's setting aside values. Uh, you know, it's easy to talk about values, but part of why we elect public servants is to bring our values to life. And so if we are saying, if you're saying that you're a progressive and you're actually not doing progressive things, then that's not leadership. That's especially not the kind of leadership that we need in a particular, in the situation that we're going through right now. We've got folks who are finding it difficult to keep food on the table, to keep a roof over their head and make sure that their children are going to be able to live out their own version of the American dream. Um, now that has thrown on some gasoline on top of this administration and this pandemic and we have got to do more. And Ms. Clark has decided to sort of be checked out and not be interested in doing the job. And so I think it's simply, it's more than simply just saying we need an effective member, but an effective member to do the kinds of things that, again, our values are true to. Uh, and to make that come to, to fruition requires work. It requires um, a, a kind of work ethic that we just haven't seen in the 13 years uh, she's been in office. You uh, were mentioned in an Intercept article that ran today uh, talking about the progressive challengers to Yvette Clark, the fact that there are multiple people in the race this year. And it mentioned uh, your fundraising and donations that you'd accepted previously from uh, Wall Street executives and real estate types uh, and your current position on on that money. Talk about the money you've taken, the money you've given back, and what your approach is. Who who do you want money from, and 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 why have you taken it from other folks over the years? Look, I, it's pretty simple. I, I don't know. Uh, we haven't. I don't know what everyone else is talking about, but 
We haven't taken a dime from real estate interest, unlike our opponent. We don't take corporate pack money. We don't take real estate. We don't take telecom. Uh, we don't take from fossil fuel. Um, I've got the most grassroots support out of all of the candidates, probably combined. Uh, and that speaks to the fact that folks are, they are willing not only to read about the kind of change that we need, but also willing to put in the time, put in the effort, but also put in the resources to see it come to to fruition. So uh, from my perspective, uh, we have done everything um, that we can to bring about those progressive values uh, to light. And I intend to do that uh, in Washington, and I intend to do it throughout the course of this campaign. And so uh, and I've stood up for that, uh, irrespective of wherever anything else has been. Talk a little bit more about the um, results last time around and the decision to run again. You, you know, obviously ran a very spirited, strong campaign in 2018, surprised people, I think. Uh, some people with the performance coming within 2,000 votes of a longtime incumbent with, you know, really strong uh, name recognition in the district. Um but weren't able to sort of get over the the top. Um, did you not did you not see that as voters, you know, sort of making a very clear choice? What what do you think is different this time? What do you need to convince voters of um, that you weren't able to convince them last time? Absolutely not. I think that says signal to that folks were hungry for change. They were uh, pursue. They wanted uh, to go in a different direction. Uh, we were outspent uh, three to one. We were running against uh, a machine that has been entrenched in our beloved borough for over three decades. And uh, taking on that machine required uh, a lot. And I think we had a team. I, we had a vision. We had uh, a staff that really uh, performed uh, incredibly. And so I, I don't ever want to discount the fact that uh, although we did not win the first time, uh, the amount of work that we were able to bring uh, to light and also the kind of change that we were able to bring uh, to this borough. But, you know, running as an insurgent is hard. Uh, Y'all know that from talking to folks all across the city. And so sometimes you may not get it uh, the first time, uh, but I think if you stick with it and are determined and show folks the vision that we can potentially go in, I think we're always going to find a receptive crowd. And I think you see that this time. We have gotten the level of support uh, from endorsements from Zephyr Teach Out, from local uh, clubs here on the ground, and in terms of uh, the volunteers. We've got triple-digit volunteers uh, helping out on this campaign. We've raised more resources than we have. And we're doing that without taking corporate PAC money, without taking uh, money from special interests, without taking money from folks whose values and uh, interests don't align with this district. And so I think, you know, to me, it's just a matter of putting in the effort and putting in the time. And I think we'll uh, not only be successful uh, in June, but I believe we'll be on the start to bringing about real change in Washington as well. When we spoke in, I think, November or December, uh, as you were beginning to really ramp up this campaign, you focused a lot on housing issues, which you said, I think, inarguably are very, very important in your district, as they are in many districts in the city. And you're thinking that the incumbent has not done enough in those issues and a very sweeping plan that you are putting forward to address those problems. 
I wonder if you could talk about whether or not COVID-19 and its impact on uh, city and state budgets, any of its impact on uh, people coming to or leaving the city, if any of the foundations of that plan have have shifted or if that is still your your top goal for, for Washington? Of course, it has not shifted. I think, again, as a product of my own circumstances, uh, I grew up in a one-bedroom apartment, and I know how difficult it is for working families in central Brooklyn to keep a roof over their head. And so I believe housing is a human right. And COVID has only made that uh, issue even more important for us to fight for in Washington. Uh, on the short term, we need to cancel rent. We need to fully fund NYCHA. We have got folks who are finding it difficult to continue to live here. Pay rent on a monthly basis. Um, it is going to be going, the existential issue, I believe, that we will deal with with working families in our city, and not only this city, but cities all across the United States. This is going to be a fundamental challenge that we will have to fight for as Democrats, because we have, uh, on the other side of the aisle, folks who are not interested in helping working families. In fact, we're telling blue states that they can basically go to hell. And we got to have leadership that's going to stand up and not simply just vote for corporate bailouts, but actually speak up about working families. On the long term, right, uh, Jared, I put out a pretty comprehensive and ambitious plan calling for a homes guarantee in December through significant federal investment that we build 12 million units of affordable housing. That's on top of the Mitchell Lama program that I outlined in the previous campaign that would provide a pathway to ownership for black and brown families who have often been neglected as a result of uh, racist housing policy from the federal government. But this is going to take a lot of work. It is going to take a lot of effort. And we just don't have that in Washington on our behalf right now. And that's going to be the difference. Uh, how do we not only talk about our values, but how do we live up to them? And how do we see them come to life? So you, if you are successful in this campaign uh, in the primary and then win the general election in November, you go to Washington for what is, you know, will seem like the shortest of times, two years. It's a blink of the eye in terms of campaigning. You'll come back to the district. And there's so many variables that will affect what you're able to do. You'll be one of 435 uh, Congress members. You'll be a, a freshman. Uh, who knows whether the president will be of your party or remain a Republican. Given, given those uncertainties, what can you kind of guarantee or what can you promise the citizens of your district that you will bring back uh, within the next two years or two and a half years if you're elected? Uh, your housing plan is very ambitious. I don't know if you can promise that, but what, what can you assure them that you will, you will do for them that Yvette Clark has not done? Look, I think as a child of two war refugees, uh, I relate to folks in this district probably more so than, uh, than anyone. Um, again, we have a number of folks from our community who come from not only the West Indies, but Sub-Saharan Africa, who come from Eastern Europe and the like. But we also have a district that is diverse and cuts across racial and social economic lines. Um, and the thing that really ties folks, all of us together, is the need to not only see our values uh, again, represented, but someone who's going to put in the effort uh, to do that. And for me, more than anything, the thing that I guarantee you is that you will have someone who will always be there, who will always mm -hmm. be responsive, who will always at the just at the very fr forefront of making sure that we are pushing 
to take not only our district into a better future, but also to push it in a way that issues like housing, criminal justice, education, immigration have often been neglected. But on top of that, I do think we can get a lot of stuff done in Washington. Look, we're going to have to do quite a bit uh, in the next in the months and years ahead. Um, the first two packages were just relief, uh, not even stimulus. And so, on regards to housing, I think we can really start to take a, a we can really start to bring back real money for NYCHA. But we're also going to have to solve problems at the MTA. And the MTA is going to be cash starved for uh, the months and years ahead. I think we're going to have to do a lot in terms of education. We have a number of children in our community who are continuously suffering as a result of not having access to broadband or having devices in their hands to be able to learn remotely. There is a number of things that we are going to have to move on, and I can guarantee you you're going to have a voice that will work like hell to make sure that we are bringing back the kinds of resources that will enable all of us as a community to not only survive but to thrive and succeed. Uh, this is Maxim Murphy talking with Adem Bukadeko about his uh, bid in the 9th Congressional District, challenging Rep. Yvette Clark uh, for the second time. And we just got a couple more minutes with you, sir. I um, want to get to a few quick things, if you don't mind. So um, let's see if we can move through a few more questions we have for you um, on the quicker side. Absolutely. So, um, one thing I wanted to ask is, are there any recent votes uh, that Representative Clark has taken that you would have voted differently on? Yeah, look, I, I think, it, you know, to me, the the vote that I thought was extremely disappointing was on tobacco, uh, putting tobacco in the hands of children or, or folks who are minors in our community. Uh, she voted with Republicans on this, uh, and I just never saw what sense that made at all. But Setting aside just even the vote, I mean, it's the lack of inact it's the inaction uh, to really stand up for working families in our community. Uh, to me, that just, I think is just on, on that vote you mentioned. Which can you be a little more specific about which vote that was? So this was on the energy and commerce side. So this was around vaping uh, and allowing uh, minors to be able to purchase uh, uh, tobacco products that were uh, vaping related. Uh, again, voted with Republicans uh, to, uh, to to do this, while most of her, well, not only in committee did Democrats uh, vote against that, but also in, when it came to the full House, they voted against that as well. And so that, I think, is just an example of the kind of leadership that we do not need. We do not need to be putting those kinds of products in the hands of uh, children, particularly children, black and brown children in uh our city and in our beloved Brooklyn. Earlier in the um, uh, political season, there was obviously a very hotly contested Democratic presidential primary. Did you back uh, any any candidate in that primary? Well, none of them came and asked me for my endorsement. So uh, there was nobody you, uh, you felt most uh, kindred with. No, but I, my, I, I'm of the progressive wing, so you know while my the, the candidates on my side uh, weren't successful, obviously uh, we got to make sure that we defeat Donald Trump, and that is uh, the top priority uh, for me, especially past the this primary if I were to win. Is we got to defeat Donald Trump uh, again as the son of two war refugees uh, from Uganda. I mean the the language and the rhetoric in particular the racist language and rhetoric from this administration 
has been a terrible thing and shame in our country. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Adam Buccadeco, a Democratic challenger of the 9th District, for joining us here on Maxim Murphy, and uh, good luck on June 23rd. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Uh, Thank you all again for having me.